Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you'll move on this listener right now in your gentle, loving, powerful, and merciful way as they listen to this message from All Nations Church in Tallahassee. Amen. Hello. Pastor has asked us to introduce a message, so here are a few things that my dad has taught me. Never enter a pool by the stairs. The man at the barbecue grill is the closest thing to a king. When entrusted with a secret, keep it. Hold your heroes to a higher standard. Return a borrowed car with a full tank of gas. Don't let a wishbone grow where a backbone should be. If you need music on the beach, you're missing the point. Be like a duck, remain calm on the surface, and paddle like crazy underneath. Never turn down a breath mint. Ask your mom to play. She won't let you in. Give credit, <laughs> take the blame. Stand up to bullies, protect those bullied. Be confident and humble at the same time. If ever in doubt, remember whose son or daughter you are and refuse to just be ordinary. In all things, give glory to God. And now we have Pastor Steve. <laughs> Thank you, ladies. Thank you so very much. Great to see you all this morning and happy Father's Day to all the fathers that are in the room and those of you who are online. Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6. We're going to get there in just a few minutes. Today I want to talk to you about some of the things I wish my father had taught me. We uh, opened this topic on Mother's Day and we're going to continue it through today. Uh, Yvonne said it'd probably be good if I preface the fact that uh, I did have a good relationship with my parents later on in life, and I do love them. And as we all grew older, uh, that relationship deepened and strengthened, regardless of how contentious it may have been uh, during my younger years. But you know, I learned several things from that message and your responses you gave to me. I learned that all of us have things we have to overcome because of the way we were raised or where we grew up or the parents we had or didn't have. All of us have issues that we have to deal with and overcome. And the easiest way to overcome them is by getting close to God and letting him develop you, mature you, take you through the process so that those things are no longer places of pain, but rather they can be used to help someone else. So if you're in this room this morning and you didn't exactly have a great family life, or maybe dad was completely absent from your life, let me encourage you today to turn to God, to press in, to allow God to bring healing and hope and help into your heart and into your life, and uh, just watch what he will do and the transformation that will occur in you. You see, there comes a time when we as adults can no longer blame someone else for our behavior. There comes a time when we have to step up and be responsible ourselves. It may have been a wound incurred by a family member when you were 12 years old, but now you're 42, it's time to put it behind you and move on. Maybe it's something that a parent did or didn't do for you. Maybe they refused to let you go to the senior prom and you've been marred your whole life. Come on, get over it. Grow up, move on, be mature. Use those things as a launching pad into the grace and the mercy of God and as a way to help those who are still in those places and still struggling. It's time today to stop blaming others, time to stop deflecting for our actions and be responsible for what's happening in our life. Mother's Day, I talked to you about four things I wish my mother would have taught me. I wish she would have taught me grace. I wish she would have taught me mercy. I wish you would have taught me forgiveness, and last of all, I wish she would have taught me to be a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. And in that story that I told you on Mother's Day of my life, 
I mentioned the fact that when mom got sick of me, she would send me to my grandparents. Jada, will you go ahead and pop that picture up for me, please? And uh, that's where I learned a lot of bad habits. That's really not me. I'm just kidding you, all right? Just kidding. You can take that down. Thank you, Jada. But our childhood does either teach us good things or bad. That's for sure. And I learned a lot of bad things through that time. Things that I wish my father would have taught me, my dad would have taught me. You know, my dad, none of you knew him. He lived uh, to be almost 90. When we came here in 2014, he was 85 years old. And in September of that year, he was still living on the farm, running cattle, raising wheat. And in September of that year, he had an accident on the farm. He was feeding hay to the cattle, and when he went to open a gate, for some reason, the pickup he was driving dropped out of neutral into drive, and he was pinned between the pickup and the corner post of uh, that fence line. And that corner post was a railroad tie, four foot deep, set in concrete, and it didn't give. And finally, it broke loose, and if it hadn't broke loose, he would have been there until he died. He was able to call my sister, who lives just down the road from them, and they came to help. He, they flew him to Oklahoma City because of the nature of his injuries, and he was never able to return to the farm, his greatest sorrow and regret. But in that uh, four and a half, almost five years that he lived after the accident, I saw him begin to change and mellow and recognize the need that he had for love, support, and care. So anytime something happens to us, God can take that tragedy and turn it into something good. He can take that place of hurt and pain and turn it into something that will be a testimony to his grace and to his mercy. So let me tell you some things I learned, wish my dad would have taught me. Number one, I wish my dad would have taught me to enjoy the rewards of labor. He taught me to work hard, that's for sure. From my earliest age, I remember working on that farm. He raised cotton when all five of us were home, and we had to hoe it and we had to pick it. He, uh, he raised alfalfa when I was still at home, and he bailed them in the little square bales, and every time he'd cut that alfalfa, I'd be hauling hay for about three days and putting it in the barn. But I always kidded him as he got over, older dad, it's amazing to me that while I was still on the farm, everything we did was manual labor. The square bales had to be hauled by hand. The cotton had to be picked by hand. Everything we did was manual labor. But when I was gone, all of a sudden, he bought a cotton stripper. Amazing. All of a sudden, he started baling big round bales, not little square bales. I kidded him about that all the time. Seriously, though, he taught me how to work hard. He just didn't teach me to enjoy the rewards of my labor. He never taught me it's okay to celebrate what you've accomplished and what you have done. It's okay when someone says, man, you're doing a great job and pats you on the back. He never taught me that. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 verse 24 says, there is nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This is from the hand of God. Nothing better that you enjoy the fruits or the rewards of your labor. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might. Seems like the Apostle Paul told us the same thing, didn't he? Whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might to honor and to glorify your Father which is in heaven. My dad was a hard worker. He expected that of all of his children. And the thing about my dad that always drove me nuts is that everything he did, he did it perfectly. 
It didn't matter what it was. He could do anything and do it absolutely perfect every time. That always drive me nuts because I didn't get that in my DNA. So it was a big challenge to measure up to the perfection of my father and everything he did. Dad always worked off the farm uh, six days a week because that farm wouldn't support and feed seven miles. So he always had another job. Typically, he was working construction, and he was a great carpenter. People knew that. They hired him all the time to remodel their homes or to build their barns, whatever they needed to be done. But since he was off the farm, that means we had to work the farm. And I can remember when I was about 10 years old, he said, it's time for you to start running the tractor. You can start working these fields. Well, that 10-year-old boy really had no idea what he was doing. And the first time I tried it, I got stuck. And I couldn't get the tractor out of, of the mess it was in. He came home and in three minutes he had it out. And then he gave me a good tongue lashing for not being able to do it right. And every time I'd plow a field, he'd come home and he'd say, your furrows are not straight. You missed a spot over there. Never a good job or a great try. It was always a negative reinforcement. And I remember one time, I was probably 11, 12, I don't know. And I've told you I was a handful as a kid anyway. And I had a mouth. I usually never backtalked my dad because I knew what was going to happen. But this day I'd had enough. He started telling me, you're not doing it right. The furrows are not straight. This field looks like a mess. And I'm thinking, the ground is worked. What difference does it make? The weeds have been turned over. What difference does it make? And then he said, anybody could do a better job than you can do. I'll never forget that moment because something rose up within me. And I said, well, then why don't you hire anybody to do your job? And yeah, I, I paid for that as well. I longed to hear him say, good job, son. Great accomplishment. I'm proud of you. Those words I never heard. And because I never heard anything from my father, it became very difficult for me to receive any kind of a compliment at all because I didn't think I was really worth it. And later in years, when people would tell me something that was positive and compliment me, I'd brush it off. Oh, that's okay. Don't worry about it. You don't need to say that. And I didn't know how to respond to those kinds of positive things. It took me years to learn through the grace of God how to accept a compliment and be gracious in that area. My dad taught me to work hard, but I wish he would have taught me to enjoy the fruits of my labor. Number two, I wish he would have taught me to accept help. And those of you around here any time at all, you know that uh, that's kind of ingrained in me. I can do it. Don't worry about it. I don't need your help. I can handle this. Very difficult for me to accept help. But it's something every person has to learn how to do if you're going to move in the grace that God has provided for you. You have to learn to accept help. I'll never forget the time when uh, it was years ago when the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, why do you do all these things? You don't need to do that. That's not your role. You need to let someone else do that, that that is their role. Because every time you do their job, you're robbing them of the blessing of obeying and serving a living God. I never thought about it that way. Mind-boggling. So from that time forward, I tried, and you hear the word tried, not to do everything myself. Number three, I wish you would have taught me that everything can't be settled with a fight. Everything can't be settled with a fight. Goes back to the fourth thing I wish my mom taught me, to be a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. What heartache and headache I could have avoided, not only for me, but for others, if I would have only learned that everything can't be settled with a fight. 
See, there's a greater place in this world for one who makes peace rather than one who makes trouble. You all need to understand that and hear it. You say, well, I don't make trouble. Well, you're probably gossiping, or some of you do, and that's stirring up trouble. Anytime we're talking about someone behind their back, we're causing trouble. I, know, I wish you would have taught me that winning at any cost means that everybody loses. It's not the way the Scripture portrays our life in Him. We need to understand there are biblical principles that need to be passed down to the next generation in order for them to know how and learn how to survive the peaks and the valleys of life. So very quickly, I'm going to give you three things, and then we'll be out of here. Three things we need to pass on to the next generation. Three things that will benefit us and benefit them and benefit those who come behind them. Number one, the next generation needs common sense. And all of you my age or older are shaking your head and saying amen. That's right. All we have to do is look around us and we see there is a huge void of common sense. But where does common sense come from? It comes from knowing and understanding the word of God. It comes from the wisdom and the knowledge of God operating deep within you. You will never walk in a place where someone says, that's great, that's great common sense, until first you know and understand the knowledge and the wisdom of God. There is a dearth of common sense in our society today because the Word of God has been removed. The Word of God is not considered. The Word of God is completely discounted, negated by the philosophies of mankind. But this generation and the generation following needs common sense, but common sense only comes from the Word of God. Proverbs 16, 16 says it's much better to have wisdom and knowledge than gold and silver. You know what that means? It means it's better to be spiritually smart than have all the world can offer you. It's better to have the treasure of the kingdom in your heart than it is to have the kingdom of this world in your hand. We need to understand and value the things that God values. That's common sense. And God values people. God values individuals. God values you whom he has created. And he wants to show you his love and prove your value to him every single day by lavishly covering you in his grace and in his mercy and revealing new truths to you every day. This next generation needs common sense because common sense is rooted and grounded in the word of God. Think about this. The generation coming needs to know or learn how to live more than they need to learn how to make a living. There's a big difference in those things. There's a lot of folks who've done a great job making a living, but they never learned how to live. They woke up one day and they realized the ladder they've been climbing is leaning on the wrong place. And behind them, you see the trail of relationships damaged and broken because they didn't understand the value of knowing God's wisdom in their lives. And that value brings common sense. Number two. The next generation needs to understand character counts. Let me say it again. Character counts. You say, I really don't know what you're driving at, Pastor. Well, have you ever taken a look at the political scene in this country? Character is void in many instances. They can say one day thing today, another thing tomorrow, and, and say they never said it in the first place. Are you kidding me? Character counts. 
This even flows into the church many, many times. Ephesians 4, 23 and 24 says, this is from the message, take on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life, renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately produces his character in you. We need to understand that character counts. It matters. Character describes a sense of morals, ethics, and integrity in which we walk. And when we walk in the common sense of the wisdom of God, it leads us automatically to morality, integrity, and morals in our life. Every single time, that's the path that leads us down. So many times people have said, well, I don't think I'm living in sin. Well, ask God, what did he have to say about it? I'm not your judge, he is. Ask him, what does he have to say about it? And he says this, anything that is not of faith is sin. Anything that disrupts your pursuing the mission of God, the life of the Son in you, is sin. And we can talk about relationships that draw people away from God. I'm here to tell you, if you're in a relationship with someone who doesn't love God, you better end it today. I'm not talking about ending your marriage. I'm talking about in a relationship. There's a whole lot of difference there. Marriage brings a whole nother list of responsibilities and required character traits in order to survive. But if you're in a relationship with someone who won't come to church with you, who won't read the Bible with you, who won't pray with you, who won't talk to you about God, you need to run. Because their destruction will become yours very, very quickly. And then the thing we need to understand, what builds character in our lives? Let me read it to you from Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. It says, we also have joy with our troubles, because we know that these troubles produce patience, and patience produces character, and character produces hope. How do we grow in character? We grow in character by walking through some tough times. So listen to me, stop sheltering that person that's following you, whether it's your child, a niece or a nephew, a classroom full of students. It doesn't matter what audience you have, stop sheltering them. They need to know and understand how to walk through hard times, how to overcome hard times. And if you're there to rescue them and pull them out of it every time, they will never learn what the scripture said in the book of Romans that I just read. You have to be willing to allow those who are following you, following you walk through some difficult places. Doesn't mean you abandon them. You're there with them. You're holding the hand. You're praying for them, but you're not pulling them out. See, God allows trouble, difficult times to produce patience. And patience produces character. And character produces hope. All of us need to understand that and move in it. See, maturity doesn't come with age. It comes with responsibility. And number three, the last one, the next generation needs a biblical value system. Say amen. The next generation needs a biblical value system. They need to know and understand the word of God is absolute truth. There is no wiggle room whatsoever in the word of God. It's absolute truth. And if we're going to live a life that's pleasing to God, that brings us the hope of a life eternal, we must develop a biblical value system. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, hold tight to your convictions. Give it all you've got. Hold tight to your convictions. 
Well, let's talk about that. What is a conviction? A conviction is something that you are willing to die for. A conviction is far beyond your opinion, your wishes, your preferences. A conviction is the bedrock of your life system and belief system that says, I will not compromise in this area. I will not compromise in this area. And folks, you should have some strong convictions. Things you're willing to die for. Convictions are the values you live by and something that you will not surrender due to peer pressure. Interesting statistic tells me that when high school seniors graduate in our churches and they go to the freshman year of college, a vast majority of those kids drift away from the truth of God's word and God's love in their life. Folks, I'm here to tell you, it doesn't happen if we as a church, if we as parents, if we as their peers develop within them and help them to grow and develop in a biblical belief system, they will not turn aside. It's our responsibility to put that path before them and help them to follow it with all their might. Character is being right. Listen to this. Character is being right. Conviction is having the courage to choose right. Say that again. Character is being right. Conviction is having the courage to choose right in your life. I'm here to tell you the deepest, longest, most abiding blessings and experiences you will ever experience are those that come when you stood your ground, you held your place, and the conviction of God was firm and strong in your life. In those times, you're going to see the power and the presence of God in a mighty, wonderful way. Is there an example of that in Scripture? There are so many examples of it in Scripture. But I'm going to give you just one. From the book of Daniel, chapter 1, verse 8, the Bible says, Daniel made up his mind to eat and drink only what God had approved for his people to eat. You know the backstory. Daniel and every other intelligent person, educated person, person of position and power that were in Israel were taken captive and taken to Babylon. And they were there for 70 years serving a wicked king. And in that period and in that time, Daniel and several of those contemporaries of his said to the, the person that was feeding them, we don't want the rich foods the king has anymore. We want to eat what the scripture says it's okay for us to eat. So they began to eat fruits and vegetables only. They did away with the meat. They did away with all the sweets. And the Bible says that after a period of time, they were in better shape than the guys doing the other. Now, Courtney Rollison, if you're watching today, no, I'm not going to become a vegan. All right, there we go. Just had to get that out there. For six years, she's pounded me about that. No, I'm not going to do it. I like beef. Clara Peller is my hero. Where's the beef? Most of you don't even remember that, do you? We need to understand that Daniel and his friends made up their mind to honor God in that place of difficulty. And as a result of that, he didn't give up his belief system because he was in a foreign land being ruled by a foreign people, and he did not conform to their standards. That's conviction. When you stand firm and stand tall. You know the rest of the story. His convictions caused him to be thrown into a fiery furnace that was heated seven times hotter than its normal heat. But the Bible says in the next day when the king went to look in the furnace and see if God, the God of Daniel actually came through, 
He saw Daniel there. His hair wasn't singed. His clothes were not burned. Not even the smell of smoke on him as, excuse me, out of the lion's den. I'm mixing the three Hebrews and Daniel there, aren't I? Good story either way. You can tell when I'm still taking some pain medicine, can't you? Things get a little twisted around. I prayed this morning, God put a lock on my tongue and don't let me say anything, I'll regret. We need to understand that when he threw him into that lion's den, he knew he was going to be eaten. But the next morning he went back and said, Daniel, did your God preserve you? And Daniel said, yes, he closed the mouth of the lions. I am safe. I'm okay. I'm sound. I stood to my convictions and God brought me through. There's an interesting thing about modern Christianity. Somehow we think if we have strong convictions in a certain area, we got to, how do I say this? We got to look a little bit different and act a little bit strange. I'm telling you, you are set apart. You are a peculiar people. But don't try, to, uh, don't try to assume the trappings of man to prove your conviction, or your holiness, or your righteousness. My goodness, Jesus said, if you're going to fast, don't be like the scribes and Pharisees who put ashes on and rip their clothes so everyone knows they're fasting. He said, but wash your face, comb your hair, put on your clothes. Don't let anybody see a difference in you physically because of what's happening spiritually. And so many times we fall into these traps where we think, I'm going to do this. People are going to notice. They're going to be all in, in awe of me. And they're going to say, wow, look at that guy. He's such a good believer. Now they're probably going to say, look at the guy. He's such a weirdo. You don't have to be a weirdo to follow Jesus Christ and stand your ground. The end result of Daniel, he was promoted. Because he stood his ground on his convictions, then kings were asking him, their advice. <clears throat> Haley, would you come back? Convictions produce passion. And passionate people change the world. Why is the church lethargic today? Because we've lost our passion. Why have we lost our passion? Because we have lost God's heart for this world. Because we're more interested in our comforts in what we look like, than we are in giving ourselves to reach men and women for the cause of Jesus Christ. Someone said to me, how did you hurt your shoulder? Why did you have to have surgery? Y'all remember last uh, June, June 27th was the date when Gary Bird and we were riding the 4CPR prayer ride. And on the first day of that ride, the heat was extreme in the Northwest about 60 miles south of Portland, Oregon, <clears throat> Gary suffered a heat stroke, passed out on that motorcycle, went off the road at 65 miles an hour. His wife was on the back. I was right behind him. I saw what had happened. I saw him leave the pavement, go through a deep ditch. The bike turned on its side when they came out of that ditch and it slid into a tree line where I could no longer see him. I was running the same speed. It took me a little while to shut that bike down, jerk my helmet off and run back up there to them. I knew when I crawled through those trees, they were gonna be dead because I saw the accident. But when I crawled through those trees and got to them, they were both alert, awake, and talking to one another. 
both asking, are you okay? Are you okay? And Gary crying and apologizing to his wife for what had happened. You know the rest of the story. I'm going to tell it anyway. Carolyn's legs were under the front of that bike, under the fairing. I tried to lift it and couldn't do it. I knew I'd hurt my back at that instance. And I thought in a few days it would be okay, and it did clear up in a few days. But this shoulder never cleared up. It hurt all the time. Anything I did, if I lifted it, to raise my hands was literally a sacrifice of praise because of the pain that was in the shoulder. So eventually I gave in and went and had the shoulder repaired a week ago last Thursday. But in the process of getting this thing done, I had some issues with my right knee. My right knee has been replaced three years ago. It's supposed to be a new knee. But it started swelling and hurting. The same things I had dealt with before it was replaced. So they did an x-ray and they said, hey, we got a problem, that knee is coming loose from the bone. The glue isn't holding it in place. Well, I asked the surgeon, what do we do? He just walked out of the room, the guy that did the knee, and said, well, that's a topic for another day. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to pray that God will cause that knee to reattach and will know it's done because the pain is gone, the swelling is gone, and there are no symptoms of it being out of place. Listen, we stand on our convictions when we are put in a place where we have to say, this is what I believe. This is what I believe. A week ago, last Wednesday night, Prophet Tommy was here. He prophesied over Yvonne and I, said several things that were right on. We knew they were right on. There was no question about it. It came direct from God because we hadn't told him our story. We hadn't talked to him about anything. And in that moment of time, he talked about two big pillars that were pulled away. But when those pillars were pulled away, he said, I now see two angels standing there. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty convinced that if it comes to making a choice between a man who is a pillar in my life and an angel of God standing beside me, I'm choosing the angel every time. Every time. He said, your comfort will now be a supernatural comfort, and that ties to the fact that we are now walking with that angel. But it wasn't the first time I was made aware of that. When Gary and Carolyn went down on the bike, I couldn't lift the bike off of her, and I prayed or said, Lord, help me. It wasn't 30 seconds until I turned to my right, and there was this huge dude standing there by the front of the bike. Now get this, dead leaves, branches, twigs everywhere, complete canopy of limbs down to the ground. I didn't hear him come into that place. He said, what do you need? I said, I need that bike lifted off her front legs. And so he picked it up like it was a piece of paper. I slid her out. She got some relief from her pain. And when I turned around to thank him, he was gone and I didn't hear him leave either. I've come to tell you today, if you will stand on convictions that are rooted in the Word of God, when you can't do it, God shows up and does it. When you're unable, God shows you how able He is. 
Oh, folks, it's time to get our minds away from the secular influence that is so flooding us and return to being influenced only by the word of the living God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by being led and guided and directed by him. Oh, would somebody say, by standing your feet this morning, I am going to stand on convictions. I'm going to follow God. It doesn't matter what I'm going through. God is going to take me through it. I'm going to stand. I'm going to stand on those convictions. Bow your heads with me. Father, in Jesus' name, you see every person gathered in this room and those online. You know each one of us and you know us intimately and well. You know our needs. You know our heart. You know our desires. Today, I pray that the power of the Most High would fall upon every person that's standing in this room. Every person that's standing online. Every person that'll watch this broadcast in the days, weeks, months, and even years ahead and stands as a response. That you right now would fill them with the power of the Spirit of God. Fill them with faith that is supernatural them with the fact that you will never leave them and never forsake them and no matter what they're going through there is a God who is able there is a God who is greater there is a God who desires to show himself in the lives of men and women and I speak peace in your life this morning chaos confusion you're bound in Jesus name and I release peace that comes with the Holy Spirit in the hearts and the lives of those who are hearing my voice this morning, that they too would be able to stand with convictions and not allow their lives to be swayed by the influence of anything except the word of the living God. Now, Holy Spirit, put within us such a hunger a hunger that cannot be satisfied, a hunger that cannot be abated, a hunger that can never be filled for more of you, more of you, Holy Spirit. More of you. More of you. Would you right now just lift your hands as a sign of complete surrender? We lift our hands as a sign of complete surrender. When a police officer tells you to stop and lift your hands, you do it out of fear or concern. But when the Holy Spirit tells you to lift your hands, you're doing it out of submission and love and full knowledge that the God who rules the heavens is going to touch your life. He's going to fill you with this power. He's going to renew you and refresh you. He's going to speak healing into your life and in your body. He's going to bring provision that you've been seeking. Oh, come on, folks. Those hands high. Lift them up. Lord, in Jesus' name, pour the Holy Spirit out upon them. Let them sense your presence. Know the greatness of your love, the depth of your care, the certainty of your peace, the assurance of your provision. I bind every lie the devil has told these folks that they're not adequate, they're not able, they don't have enough, and I release in them the power, the dunamos of the Holy Spirit to flow through their lives, break down every misconception, throw out every false doctrine the truth of God's word rule and reign in us today because God we surrender 
we surrender to you. And it's through faith that we believe today we are receiving your best. Your best for our lives. We bless you and we praise you, Father. We worship you, Jesus. You made it to the end of the message, and now what? Is God leading you to make a change? Are you needing a good church home where you can grow and help others grow as you fulfill your part in the body of Christ? Then we invite you to join us at All Nations Church on Sharer Road in Tallahassee, a multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. Our Sunday morning service is at 10.30 and Wednesday night service at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For more information, visit our website, allnationstallahassee.com.